0: Welcome to Quit Bleeping Around, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve more in life. Here's your host, Christina Eanes.
1: Hey, superachievers! In this episode, I interview Scott Miller. Scott serves as the Vice President of Thought Leadership with Franklin Covey. He is the host of the Franklin Covey-sponsored On Leadership with Scott Miller, a weekly leadership webcast, podcast, and newsletter that features interviews with renowned business titans, authors, and thought leaders. Welcome, Scott. Thank you for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for the platform.
1: Well, I love your new book that just came out, Management Mess to Leadership Success. And I wanted to dive into that with you today. But before we do, can you share a little bit about your background for our listeners?
0: I can. So let's see. I'm 52, almost 52, and I live in Salt Lake City with my wife, Stephanie, and our three sons. uh, They're five, eight, and nine. Don't do that. Don't have three sons in five years. (laughs) That was a lot. (laughs) Uh, And it's getting better, but it's been a rough time. Rough in a positive way, right? But it's been um, fascinating times. I'm from Orlando, Florida, originally, born and raised in Ah. central Florida. I lived there for the first half of my life, 26 years, worked for the Disney company. The Walt Disney Company. I actually worked for the Disney Development Company, which was the real estate arm of the Walt Disney Company. Had a great four year run there. They invited me to leave the organization, which is a euphemism for how Disney gets rid of people. More on that (laughs) later if you want. I'm happy to share it with you. Uh, But, you know, I left the Disney Company and then moved to Utah about 25 years ago to join what is now the Franklin Covey Company. I serve as the executive vice president of thought leadership and in the Firm for almost 25 years. I've lived in London, Chicago, Salt Lake for them. Been an amazing ride. I've authored two now best selling books, Management Mess to Leadership Success, and most recently co authored Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six mm. Critical Practices for Leading a Team, that debuted at number three in the Wall Street Journal list this past October. So blogging a lot. I host uh, uh, what is now the world's largest leadership podcast for Franklin Covey called On Leadership. And I write an article for uh let's see forbes.com and blog and write and parent and lead and cry occasionally for all of that and that's kind of who i am
1: <laughs> nice definitely a super achiever here
0: <laughs> <laughs> well no, no 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 it's always two steps forward three steps back let's put it into perspective which is why uh-huh. i wrote the book management mess to leadership success yes. right yeah
1: exactly Well, that's part of being a super achiever is constantly growing
0: oneself. I think that's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Nice. Okay. So uh, we have listeners from all walks of life. Uh, Even though your title says management mess to leadership success, as we have discussed before, it applies to anyone and everyone. So I would love to cover uh, a couple of the challenges that you identify in the book, uh, in the time that we have today, and then I definitely want to encourage people to go get it and read the the full the full book. But sounds great. Let's yeah, let's start out with. Um, I love the first one of the first. Well, the the first one that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> one of the first challenges is think abundantly. Can you share more on that?
0: I can. So for all your listeners worldwide, there are 30 challenges in the book. The book's titled Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. Are there more challenges? Of course. But we thought that these 30 were most common across formal leaders, and for that matter, informal leaders, right, and for all our lives. So in 40 years that Franklin Covey's been a leadership development firm, we've learned a lot, you know, literally millions of client implementations, you know, hundreds of thousands of 360-degree profiles. And the second challenge is called Think Abundantly. This is a term that our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, coined. He talked about having an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality it doesn't mean necessarily that you you know that you're generous with your money or your time necessarily it's, really, it's a mindset it's a it's a paradigm is that as a leader or for that matter as a parent or a neighbor or a colleague or a daughter-in-law do you have an abundance mindset do do you philosophically believe that there is enough to go around Enough medicine, enough paper clips, enough food, enough toilet credit, paper, enough toilet paper, enough <laughs> enough credit, enough fame. So I think, you know, in the context of being a member of a team or a formal leader in an organization, I wrote the stories, the the messes that I found my own self in when colleagues were accusing me of perhaps taking credit for their projects or recognition or power or Fame That came from successful things. And I had to really understand, you know, how much credit do I need? How much attention do I need? I had a colleague at the company, Christina, say to me once, Scott, you'll never have enough until you've defined how much is enough. And Mm. otherwise, it's just a black hole, right? Enough salary, enough love, enough attention, enough podcast interviews, enough books being purchased, (laughs) you know, whatever it is. I think it's a good reminder for all of us just to make sure that we are thinking abundantly. This doesn't mean to think win-lose, right? Or or lose-win. You know, I know some people that are martyrs, that they're victims where they kind of will Allow other people to walk over them and take all the credit because they don't think they're worthy. So it's a balance. It's a mindset it's a tension. It really is a struggle that all of us face not to think scarcely, but to think abundantly, but also to be wise and not let other people always, you know take quote their share first and then let the spoils be yours. It, it's a mindset that we face with challenges, every interaction, every conversation, every project, every engagement.
1: Hmm. I love that you say that. Um, I've really been working on this one the last few years myself. Yeah. Management mess to leadership success. <laughs> and I found once I became an entrepreneur, the more I made it an us versus a, uh, to me, the more abundance came my way. The more I worked in teams, the more, it was just, it's amazing. So the more that we work with others in teams together, the more we all reap, Right.
0: I think it's so true. At Franklin Covey, we have a phrase. I'm not sure it's unique to us. We talk about I language a lot, and when we edit people's, you know, blog posts or white papers or columns or speeches, we'll assess how much I language is there. I did this. I think this. I'm now going to own this. Versus we and us and them, our. I think it's a good question to ask yourself: is how much I language do you use? Of course, you know, the Mm -hmm. Pollyanna in us can think, well, if you use not enough I language and the boss won't know what you're doing, right? Or you'll be the first to be severanced or furloughed or laid off. You have to promote your own self. Well, there's truth to that also. It doesn't mean you have to be a martyr and give everybody else all the credit. No, make sure that credit's being given to all of those who are involved, including yourself.
1: Exactly right, like you said, it's a nice balance. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Now, in order to be successful in this world, we need to get along well with others. We need to manage. (laughs) Yeah, right. We need to manage our what a a colossal
0: understatement, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. And some people still hold on to that, that we, you know, no, I could do it myself, right?
0: Yeah, I guess guess (laughs) golfers can, but beyond golfers, I'm not sure (laughs) who can. I mean... (laughs) There you go. I know.
1: (laughs) Bowler, uh, any
0: bowlers, I don't know. (laughs) Even
1: they have to do teamwork, right? It's true. I
0: think so. Yeah.
1: Everyone. Someone's got to set
0: set the pins up, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No, but a lot of uh, the challenges that you mentioned in your book are related to... Obviously, working with others, getting along with others, being effective with others. And another one that I I really enjoyed was declare your intent. Can you share more about that one?
0: I can't. I mean, this one I think is crucial in conversations. It's crucial in high stakes meetings. It's crucial in relationships. You know, absent facts people make stuff up. This is just a a common public relations principle taught in college, right, in university, and that the more we are willing to acknowledge that we have an agenda, all of us have a hidden agenda, everyone has a hidden agenda, and the more that people suspect that, then everything we do becomes tainted. I I love this quote from one of our co-founders. I'm going to say it twice. Christina, because it's so profound, nearly all, if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. Mm, Nearly yeah. all, if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. I mean, I think that's so true in all of our relationships with our members of the of the parent-teacher organization, members of, you know, the local tennis club or your church or mosque or synagogue or your neighbors or your colleagues or in your family with your, your father-in-law, right, is I think too often – We think people understand what we really mean, what we intend to do, what we need out of this holiday celebration or out of this product launch or client meeting. But rarely do we actually declare our intent up front. I mean, here's a perfect example. I'm going to pretend that you report to me. It's more likely I would report to you, Christina, but let's uh, pretend for a moment that I report that, that you report to me and I'm, I'm the boss. I'm the leader. Okay. And I say, Christina, thank you for coming into my office today. I'd like to give you some feedback, but I want you to know my intent is to help you build a wonderful long term career here at Franklin Covey. In fact, I think you've got a phenomenal career here and I really want to build your brand. And it's because of that intent that I'm going to give you some high courage feedback on some blind spots that I don't think you see when you're in meetings with teams from other divisions. So I might get it wrong. I might say the wrong words. Would you forgive me? I'm a bit nervous as well. But my intent is to really help you build a great career here. You get the point, right? I've declared my intent. My intent is to help them create a long-term career here. And my intent is noble. My intent is to help them. And therefore, I'm going to share some uncomfortable information with you in the hopes that you receive it with the same intent with which I have declared it. That can be used in every conversation: high stakes, low stakes, corporate meetings with your mother-in-law about where to hold Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas <laughs> or the, the Chinese New Year, whatever it is, right? It's a here's a, another great example. You might say to your mother-in-law, Hey, Tina. I recognize that we've been celebrating the new year at your house for every year for 24 years. The new year celebration is always at your house. I know how much you love family traditions, and I'm trying to create some of my own. I wonder, is there... Is there an opportunity for us to talk about? Can I host it next year? I know my house isn't as big as yours. I'm not as good of a cook and your decorations are probably better, but like you, I'm trying to create some traditions. We always have, you know, Christmas at, you know, John's house. And would you be open to that? I'd love to create some, some traditions. My intent is to build upon what you have developed for the last, you know, 30 years. You get the point, right? May not translate into your global audience, but declaring your intent. It's so important to managing expectations, fulfilling expectations, and minimizing conflict. So I'd encourage your listeners, use that phrase. The next time you're in any kind of situation where you might be misinterpreted, where your points might be confused, where people might suspect something other than what you're saying, declare Your intent, use that phrase, Christina, my intent is to have a wonderful relationship with you long-term, and to do that, I'd like to give you some feedback. But By the way, you can also say, and I'll bet you probably have some feedback for me, I'll look forward to setting some time with you, and I promise you, I'll be open to receiving it. Nice. Because when as soon as you give someone feedback, most people come out of the gate kind of uh, with fighting words, right? Or fighting metaphorically personality. And they're immediately thinking, oh, well, you think you're all that. Well, have you seen this? Have you seen the way you dress? <laughs> have you watched you in the ski slopes? Good grief. Your meatloaf is horrible, right? So so acknowledge that most people are going to want to give you some feedback to save face. So just acknowledge it, right? Own your own mess. Own your own mess. Oh, yeah.
1: Well I like that too, because feedback can be a trigger word for people, right? Based on past experiences, et cetera. So that really I think it disarms them a bit by sharing that you're really well, hopefully if if that's a genuine intent that you're sharing, right? That it's uh
0: You know that to declare Christine, you bring up a great point because I think in order to before you declare your intent, you have to check your intent. With, yeah. your, with yourself, right? I mean, am I giving her this because this feedback is I also have a, you know a poor body image about my own self? Am I giving her this feedback because I'm jealous of her and I want to cut her down? I mean, most people won't acknowledge that. But if you're brutally self-honest and you're very self-aware, sometimes the feedback we're giving to others is more about us yeah. than it is about them. And so, I would check your intent and be really honest with yourself about why you're feeling the need to give someone else feedback about them.
1: I love it. So, check your intent. If it's genuine and in the best interest of everyone involved, then declare it.
0: You and that write, helps. You should write a book. That's excellent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I actually have three books. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware. Um, okay. So, the other one that I really love, and I love to share this uh, in. All leadership courses, especially those with emotional intelligence, is carry your own weather. So can you share more about that one?
0: Sure. This is also an idea popularized by Stephen R. Covey in his seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It sold 40 million copies. It's in its 30th year. And he really talked about how proactive people carry their own weather as opposed to, you know, reactive people. So yeah. proactive people, they choose their response based on their values, not on other people or outside circumstances. Now, like everything in life, it says easy and does hard, right? We have to be thoughtful around what this means to carry on your own weather. But basically the concept is a metaphor, of course, right? Is Are, are you so Emotionally fragile, which some of us are for legitimate reasons, right? Are you scared? Are you intimidated? Are you jealous? Are you worried? Are you fearful that other people can wreck your day by an email, by a text, by a tweet, by driving by your house and not waving to you? I mean, any, and then we always make it about ourselves, right? I mean, the first thing I'd say is 99% of stuff isn't about you. It's about other things that going on. So first, don't take things as personally as we tend to do. Second, you can't carry your own weather if you haven't established your values. So I think there's some instructive advice around what are your values? I think most people, when they're asked their values, I think most people say, oh, I value love and peace and harmony and freedom (laughs) and goodwill and key lime Uh pie. You know what? Whatever. You know what? No. No. Go take the time like I did. Take the week and, dec- and clarify what are your values. My values are PhilPal, P-H-I-L-P-A-L. They create the crazy acronym PhilPal. Positivity, health, integrity, loyalty, purpose, abundance, and learning.
1: Mm, P-H-I-L-P-A-L,
0: nice. and I'm very clear on those, and I live my life around them. I don't let people violate my values, and therefore I carry my own weather. Reactive people are not clear on their values, so they lose their emotions. When a car wrecks, they, they, they go, you know, you know what, crazy when someone accuses them of something they didn't do. You, you can accuse me of anything you want. You're not even going to, like, get a response out of me because I'm not going to let that penetrate my values. I once had a girlfriend accused me of, like, cheating on her, and she went kind of crazy. I'm like, I, I didn't even respond. Like, I, did, I, like, I kind of laughed because it was so absurd. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> that's in violation of my values. And, like, she yeah. went on and on, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. And she kept getting more upset that I wasn't getting upset. And I kept saying, well, I don't get upset about things that are lies and that aren't true. It's not true. Yeah. So I think when you're clear on your own values, you then can proactively choose to carry your own weather and that you're calm when things are stormy, that you're silent when things are loud, you're clear when things are muddy, you're firm when things are uncertain. Now, again, I think it takes some time to be very deliberate about your values so that those values that you live your life around. You can say what they are not just tonight at a cocktail party to sound smart, but you can say next week, next month, next year, next decade. You're very clear on what values govern your life and govern your responses to stormy weather.
1: Nice. You're essentially building your, uh, what is it? Your rudder?
0: Your moat. Yeah, your rudder. Your moat. Your <laughs> moat your, exactly. Well said. That's right. Right. And it's easy for me to pontificate this after 30 years in the leadership business, but uh when when people have opposite faiths or different faiths, not opposite than I have, not opposite, sorry, different. I have a lot of people that evangelize their faith to me. I, I you know, I used to be offended or, or suspect their motives or wonder no, I, I now it's like, thank you, that's so sweet of you. Thank you. Yeah no, but thank you. <laughs> you know, it comes from a good place because I know what my, my weather is grounded in my own religious belief system. And I live in a, I live in a very religious state for those of you who know Utah, right? This is a very, very strong evangelical state for the dominant religion out here. And, and it kind of just rolls off me when people try to evangelize their faith to me. And I think, you know, what? how lovely they care enough about me. I assume they have good, good intent. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, because I'm carrying my own weather.
1: There you go. So know who you are. Now, and,
0: if my kids are running okay downstairs, oh, there's no weather, <laughs> there's no umbrella, there's no raincoat. I'm losing my, you know what, uh, for the eighth hour of the three boys, you know, screaming at each other. So trust, uh-huh. uh, let your audience know. Oh no, sometimes I forget to carry my metaphorical umbrella downstairs when I'm tired of the bloody noses. Right?
1: Oh, <laughs> well, we are we are all only human, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now the final one I want to talk about today, uh, which I think is extremely important. I, they're all. Important important. important, I know. But um, in this one in particular, because especially those that want to achieve more in life and get so focused on their goals, forget to do this. And it's make time (sighs) for relationships. So please yeah. share some more on this.
0: Yeah, this is challenge number ten, you know, and this is, has been a huge struggle for me. You know, I wrote this book because I wanted people to realize that leadership is hard, relationships are hard, that all of us have messes going on in our life. Right? Everybody knows our messes. Your your colleagues, your friends, your family—they know all your messes. You Why not just own them? Because when you can own your mess, you make it safe for other people to own theirs. And that's as true in the workplace as it is in your personal life. So I included this because really, you know, everything in life revolves around our relationships, professionally, personally, interpersonally. And I've not always been great at developing friendships. It's always been kind of a little awkward for me. I mean, I'm a charismatic guy and a talkative guy and smart enough, but for some reason, I, I don't like small talk and I'm, you know, I'm a little anxious at times and I'm, I think I'm an extrovert, but, A lot of my behavior shows I'm an introvert. So I included this one because I've learned a lot about it. And I learned it from Dr. Stephen R. Covey. I'm gonna quote him like for the fourth time because although he (laughs) passed about eight years ago, the man was, you know, was was influential beyond most, right? In all of his books and writing and, and speaking. And Dr. Covey taught me the difference between having an efficient paradigm, an efficient mindset, and an effective Mindset. He wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Countless people misquoted as the seven habits of highly successful people or the seven habits of highly efficient people. No, he was very deliberate. There is a time to be efficient and a time to be effective. And I am a very efficient person. As you mentioned earlier, I'm very productive, right? I, I, I have a podcast. I have a radio program. I'm taping a pilot for a TV program. I'm writing multiple books and author columns. I, I have a day job. I have a 60 hour week corporate executive job. And I have a husband, and I have three sons with my wife. And I got a lot going on. And being efficient has served me very well in most areas of my life. I mean, I'm the kind of person, Christine, that that wakes up at, you know, three o'clock and I write my my, my blog article from three to four and my books from four to six. And I start helping with the boys and take them to school and then work all day long. I mean, I'm one of those list makers, right? And that's great. The problem is when it comes to relationships, you cannot be efficient. You have to be effective. You have to change your mindset because with people, Slow is fast, and fast is slow. You have to slow down. You cannot be efficient in your relationships. When someone comes into your office, close your laptop. Turn off your phone. Turn over your phone. Take off your glasses and check in. And I think a lot of hyper-successful, productive people like me – Didn't understand that those skills that make us great in some areas of our life really hamper us in the most important part of our life, which is our legacy, our relationship with people. So the big aha to me was to make time for relationships. You cannot treat raking your yard like you do sitting down with your spouse or (laughs) listening to someone who reports to you. I can wash my car in 15 minutes. I cannot listen to someone's major career crisis in 15 minutes and get it all solved and done. I've been yeah. known to try, but it doesn't work. <laughs> so that's my big aha for my own, my own life is recognizing that you know, when you identify the most important parts of your life, they always come down to your relationships. Whether you're married or single, retired or a leader, whether you're a stay-at-home dad or a full-time working mom. Your legacy, your impact is all about those around you and your ability to differentiate, when should I be efficient? And there's times for that, right? Texting, social media, reading, maybe washing the kitchen floor, some meetings. Generally, in life, slower is better. And I struggle with that cuz I'm a fast person. I like to do everything super fast. I think it was Brendan Bouchard that, you know, the YouTube sensation and author that said most things in life are better done slower. And if you ask yourself that question, honestly, I think the answer is yes to almost everything. Certainly our relationships.
1: Oh, immensely. Yeah! Wow, I, I love all the advice, and there is so much more in the book. So I recommend people go get it. Oh, and there's also some cards uh, that can come with the book. Can you talk about those?
0: There are. So when I give keynote speeches around the nation, I usually provide at no additional charge a card deck, kind of like a playing card deck. When we when we launched the book, there was a promotion buy the book and get a card deck for free. But now if you actually bring me in for a keynote speech to your company or association or conference, um, part of the fee you pay for my time includes this kind of handy 30-set card deck, the side of a playing card, and they're quite useful with your family. Just don't use them on your family use them with your family or your kids. There you go.
1: (laughs) Cool. All right. So, and this uh, book is pretty much available everywhere.
0: It is. It's on Amazon. Yeah, it's done extremely well. I have a new edition that's coming out in the spring, late April with about uh, 30 new stories and lots of edits and um, every copy is now signed. So they did a second printing and I just signed 15,000 books. I think it's the first time ever that a nonfiction book's been signed 100% by the author. So every book coming out has a in the front that says, you know, signed by the author. So look for that sticker. And for those few who will care, <laughs> I've signed every copy.
1: Nice. Now, uh, lots of great information that you've shared. Is there a final piece of advice you'd like to leave our listeners with?
0: Wow. Stop gossiping. You know, Dr. Covey talked about, you know, every cancer in the organization that's the largest is the gossip. You know, being loyal to people is so important to building your own reputation. You know, it's, you build the trust of those who are present when you are loyal to those who are absent. So be very deliberate around how you speak to people when they're not around you. It should be no different than if they were standing right in front of you. And that goes for mm-hmm. your family, your friends, your neighbors, your chiropractor, your boss, the, your mother-in-law. I use mother-in-law a lot because I think there's so much conflict with in-laws and such. And if people were a little more gracious, declared their intent, assumed good intent in others, and stopped gossiping about people behind their back, it doesn't mean you don't tell people what you think about them. Just do it in a way that's to their face, that balances high courage with high diplomacy and high consideration, because you can deliver hard news to people in a soft way and still allow them to feel good about themselves.
1: Oh, nice. Thank you. Thank you so so much for joining us today, Scott. It's been my honor. If you'd like to learn more about Scott, visit franklincovey.com.
0: Does your organization need a proven leadership development program? Visit christinaeans.com for more information.